Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly and stay safe. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. I am not Mark Safe from spiders. What happened? A lot of spiders. What? Yeah. Um, I have no idea where this is going. Usually I know something about whatever you're going to talk about. Uh, it just happened. Um, yeah. Hopefully I have exterminated all of them. So it's Christmas now, right? <laughs> no, but okay. It is. Absolutely not. <laughs> Halloween is officially over, so I am taking my stuff down so I can put my Christmas tree up. And I'm taking my uh, skellies down from outside. Hmm. And I've been bringing them in one by one, like taking all like, you know, the fishing line and stuff to keep them stable. What I brought in the scarecrow. And I'm trying to pull all the hay out. Well, apparently somebody must have laid a nest in there. Because as soon oh. as I fucking stuck my hand oh. in the rib cage, there had to have been like 15, 20 spiders that just shot out of my house all over the place. Oh, hell no. What kind of spiders? I don't know. They were like teeny tiny little fat black guys. Oof. Maybe jumping spiders? You know what? Probably. Oh. Hell no. Yeah. Um, but they were like on my arms. And that stuff doesn't really bother me. Spiders don't bother me. They eat the skeeters, but That's a lot at once. It's a lot at once. You know? I, I like a little preparation, some notice. Some notice. <laughs> Do they usually file an advanced advanced thing with you? You know, like you can see them at a distance, like I want yeah. I know where you're at. Like don't surprise yeah. me in my no. own home. I don't no. like it. Spider jump scares aren't aren't it? Yeah. So, no. um, currently only have half of my display taken down because I needed a breather after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I would maybe need like a year long breather after that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited to put Christmas stuff up. But I've told myself because I know me, if I don't take this down and I start something else, it's just gonna stay up forever. I need to pack it all Halloween display? Yeah. I think you should just leave it up forever. I should. I should. It was really cool because everyone came by trick-or-treating. And um, they were all taking pictures with the displays. It just, like, there was a line in front of my house for people to take pictures. I didn't think it would have that type of reaction. I mean, I've seen a couple people take um, pictures, like, this past month. But it was really cute seeing all the kids posed up with with the skellies. That is adorable. And yeah. So uh, we were trick-or-treating and um, down the street and this guy was like, oh, where do you live? And I was like, well, I have the house with the, the skeletons. And uh, he goes, oh, I can't wait to see what you do for Christmas. And I said, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Halloween's my jam. He said, oh, he's like, I really want you to do something. These guys next to us are the Griswolds and they need some competition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, this is your this is your calling now. Yeah, so now this you is, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, this is like the beginning of a sci-fi book when, when the, the call to the quest gets issued. There's a name for this trope. I don't remember what it is. Yep, so we'll see. I don't know. Maybe not this year. I, I need mm -hmm. a – I'm going to do my Christmas tree and then relax for a while. I suppose. All right. You want to jump into uh, some food bracket? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this week it's the tale of two chowders. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to try these chowders. I'm going to have to look up like what the difference is. Okay, tell me the first one. So the first one is going to be your Manhattan. Manhattan clam chowder. Okay, let's see. So this one is red. And um, Manhattan clam chowder has a red tomato-based broth, and unlike New England clam chowder, there is no milk or cream. Manhattan-style chowder also usually contains other vegetables. Okay. Okay. I mean, it looks tasty. I would definitely very willingly eat that. Okay. And then, and then we've... The New England, yeah. 
Okay, then we've got New England. I'm pretty sure I'm familiar enough, but let me look it up for uh, for completionism. Okay, so it's it's creamy. It's uh, <laughs> it's creamy. Let's see. That's what God, she said. I don't know. I know that is exactly what she said. Have you had them both? I have had them both. Okay, tell me a little something about the difference in your opinion. Well, the creamy is. I mean, it's it is what it is. I feel like once you've had. Any sort. Have you ever had like a like a cream chicken noodle? Yeah, and I think I've had the creamy clam chowder at some point in life. Yeah, the New England is more of like a soup, like you would get like like a vegetable soup. Okay, I love them. The New bo- England, is I love them sure? both, but or um, the Manhattan. I'm sorry, is more okay. of like a no, vegetable soup. I've had them both. I love them both. It for me, it's purely like whatever mood I'm in. Yeah. See, this is tricky. I don't know. I mean, I haven't tried them. And they both look pretty damn good. Ah, uh, they both tend to have bacon in them, it seems like. I don't, I know this is a very controversial take, but I don't really care for bacon just added to stuff that much. I mean, I love bacon as much as the next person, but it's just like a soup and then you add bacon. It's just like its own flavor profile. And I don't, I, I don't always. But what about like potato soup? That. That's a creamy soup. You have to have bacon on it. Well, I mean, you do because it's kind of meant to taste like a baked potato or something. Otherwise, you would not have to. Tell me what to pick. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> you can't because I don't know. I'm not doing that. Okay. Okay. I I'm am not like responsible that. for throwing this bracket. <laughs> okay. They will have so I'm my just gonna head. Say, God damn it, Melanie. <laughs> You're so unhelpful with this. I'm just going to say... That if they were both in front of me right now, maybe it's just because I'm curious about it. I don't know. I feel like at this moment, I would go for the red one. I would have picked so that, too. I, I don't fucking really know why, but we're going to let that one advance. It's a mood. It's a mood. It, it is a mood, I guess. Yeah. All right. Manhattan yeah, Chowder wins this week. I wonder where I would even find that locally. I've never... I don't know. I don't really look that much at the seafood offerings most places, but I feel like I've never noticed that being anywhere near me you definitely see the new england more i feel like oh yeah for sure i don't feel that i've ever encountered the manhattan in the wild but i don't know i'm sure the locals are going to come out of the woodwork and be like no it's here on 82nd street (laughs) (laughs) we'll see maybe i'll try it if somebody does fill me and educate me so I realize that you think that it's Christmas, but you're going to have to hold off for one more week because it is actually um, Halloween Encore Edition uh, before you put up your Christmas tree and silence my my spookiness. I'm you, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Okay. You're going to have to be. <laughs> you're going to have to be. Um this was going to be later in the month, but then, you know, you were sick and you had the Patreon episode at the end of the month also. And I was like, that sounds fucking horrific. So I volunteered to add this a little earlier than planned. And then I ended up sick, which is fine because I was like nowhere remotely close to as sick as you, but I've had a little bit of a head cold. Um, so I sound a little rough today. Woke up with my lungs a little gunky today. Sorry about that. Um, never really felt bad at all. So it was not an issue for writing the episode, but... Uh, in terms of talking for the next hour <laughs> in into your ear holes, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this one was going to be an exorcism compilation part two. But like I told you before we started recording, I got into it. I got into um, the first one of like four that I wanted to cover. And it ended up being one of the most notorious ones really ever. And it got way bigger than I thought. So we are going to cover the exorcism of a young woman named Annalise this week. I'm really excited. Are you familiar? Yes. Listen. You are familiar with the story? I am familiar. But, Uh you know, you never know what happens when you research. And, you know, sometimes your compilations can turn into a single episode and there's nothing wrong with that. And I have also had single episodes turn into compilations. You just don't always know <laughs> until you get started. And then you're like, well, you know, I've I've done this whole episode. I can try to awkwardly shoehorn something else in just to, you know, say that I did. But I feel like this story is um, quite a story and will stand alone just fine. So shall we get into yep. it? All right. Annalise was born in Germany in 1952. And for anyone wondering, she was a Virgo. <laughs> Given the rest of the story, I will refrain from talking shit, but it is hard. 
It is hard. Um, she was one of four daughters for her parents, all of whom were raised in the Catholic faith. Everything was pretty much normal in her life and behavior until it wasn't. When Annalise was 16, she was at school one day when something weird happened. She kind of blacked out in a class and one of her classmates came across her, but something was clearly wrong with her. She seemed to be in some kind of trance. She was unable to communicate. Uh, her pupils were so dilated that her eyes appeared black and her fingers were hyperflexed and extended. <laughs> but then she snapped out of it. She finished out the day, went home, and went to bed. But then she woke up to... An experience that our friend Catherine would just shrug and ignore. We know that much. Um, which was a sensation of pressure on top of her. As she laid in bed, taking stock of her situation alone in the middle of the night, it just got worse. The pressure prevented her from moving, like at all. She couldn't scream, and she lost control and urinated in her bed. Oh, now, gosh. yeah, unlike our super cavalier friend, Catherine, <laughs> this scared the hell out of her. But, you know, what do you do but just move on after something like this? You know, it's always one of those things where it's like, it, it's like, oh, my God, this is huge. You know, right. It's a huge deal. It feels like the world should stop, but it doesn't. You know, you just time continues. And it's like, well, that happened <laughs> for something like a year. It never did happen again. Everything was fine. But then shortly before her 17th birthday, she had another episode. Um, these episodes were being presumptively treated as seizures by her family. And sometimes the sensations that she experienced were not unpleasant. Like one day she was praying the rosary and around her, the smell of violets became overwhelming. And it brought this like weird euphoria with it, which lasted into the next day for her. Other times, the smells were not so nice. Uh, Annalise started smelling something, nothing like the violets she'd smelled previously, which was something so terrible she could hardly describe it, that she associated with burning feces. Oh! Mm-hmm. No one else could smell it. And she was convinced the smell followed her around, but it was not observed by her family uh, her classmates, her boyfriend, doctors, or the priest who visited her regularly. So it was, no matter where she was at, she was smelling this. Um, I don't know if it was constant or just frequent, but it was definitely a whole thing for her. Uh, and also, I wanted to shout out at the beginning that I got a whole lot of information by a um, big article called Seized by the Spirit uh, by J.D. Sword. And a whole lot of the details from this came from that very well-researched article. But pleasant or not, it wasn't normal, and her family took her to see a neurologist. The neurologist ordered an EEG. The results were normal, but based on her described history, the neurologist felt pretty comfortable suspecting epilepsy, specifically, quote, cerebral seizures of the nocturnal type with the symptoms of grand mal epilepsy. And this, as an umbrella thing, would explain just about everything. Pre-seizure auras include perception of unusual or foul smells, which would account for the violets and the other smells. It was not uncommon for this type of seizure to include temporary paralysis as the muscles contract, and loss of bladder control is also common, explaining what had happened to her the night that she woke up in bed feeling the pressure on top of her. Well, then she got tuberculosis and ended up hospitalized for it. Um, while she was in the hospital for, you know, unrelated reasons, she ended up having a seizure. And it was witnessed. And having seen that, the medical professionals felt confident enough in the diagnosis of epilepsy to get her started on anti-seizure medications. But they did not fix things at all. Whatever accounted for her symptoms, they only multiplied from here. A new one was an involuntary grimace that happened again and again. She also started seeing what she described as devil faces all over the place all the time. Ugh. Yeah. She was also started on an antipsychotic that is used to treat schizophrenia and delusions. Her medical team ordered another EEG, and this one was a little bit wonky, but, quote, nothing pathological. So... 
no real answers here, but I mean, it can be that way, I think, with epilepsy sometimes. So these problems continued for years. And by the time she was 21, Annalise was a completely different person than she had started out as. I'm sure she was fucking exhausted. Oh, she had to be. Yeah. Her personality had undergone a slow and terrible transformation over the years. No one really knew what was happening, but the situation was so unavoidable that it was it was a constant centerpiece in everyone's lives. Like, it wasn't something you could pretend wasn't there sometimes. It was a huge thing. And it could kind of only be conceptualized as her, quote, illness. And the years had passed, and she was just simply declining in every way. She was angry all the time, withdrawn and emotionally numb. She told her boyfriend, which had to be great to hear as her boyfriend, quote, I can't feel any love at all. I am all numb, sort of. I can't feel emotions like that, which just sounds like an Uh. Aquarius to me, but (laughs) not the problem. (laughs) It had continued for so long that the resulting misery no longer felt like a passing phase. And she said, quote, this is no longer a depression. This is a condition. She considered suicide. She told her psychiatrist that she, quote, could not love sufficiently and felt, quote, castrated and ice cold. Nothing felt right. And at least at this point in the story, I mean, she did have a lot of intervention that she should have. Yeah, she she sounds like a ton of support. Yeah, she had, you know, her family. She had a psychiatrist. She was very involved with the church. She had... um plenty of of medical attention and everything but everything was wrong and she could not recover from this illness i imagine she had to have felt like an outsider or an imposter in her friend circle as they all set out on their new lives as young adults facing their own challenges but their challenges were not like hers right annalise started college in 1973 and became a student teacher, but her illness was still consuming. She couldn't be around her friends anymore, but the religious fanatics at her school offered kind of a different experience and maybe a framework for understanding what was happening to her. I mean, she had always been religious, but this this was a whole other level. She she I think that this would be, you know, maybe comparable to I mean, it's religious extremism. It is what it is. So the further down this rabbit hole she went, the more Annalise believed that she was, there was something wrong with her. She said that while she prayed, voices communicated with her that she was damned and she would rot in hell. Mm. She believed that she was communicating personally with the Virgin Mary and that the end of the world was coming. As her world shrunk, she didn't really want to discuss much outside of these topics with anyone. This just, it got to be all there was for her. Annalise had always attended mass twice a week, but things had clearly escalated for her in terms of her religious fanaticism, might be putting it mildly. And despite her newfound obsession with religion, she had a real weird relationship with it, sometimes showing, quote, disrespect toward religious objects. Yeah. She tried to visit a shrine in Italy during the course of her deterioration, but it did not go well. She found that she was physically unable to enter the building, and that even the dirt in front of the church burned her skin, and that certain religious medals and pictures, quote, sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it, and they were physically uncomfortable to look at. Oh, wow. Yeah. But a lot of this was still within the realm of a neurological explanation. Um, Sensations of being completely removed from the world around you and just very detached and disassociated to an extreme are a symptom of the exact kind of seizures that her neurologist suspected she was having in the first place. Other symptoms of it are hyper-religiosity and withdrawing from people. So that really fit to a T, you know, as much as the religious theme kind of made it seem like there must be something supernatural going on that comes with this kind of, Seizure. It's kind of epilepsy. But things maybe were starting to break with neurological phenomenon. I don't know. At least one priest described the same smell that she described wafting behind her as she moved through her house. And 
there may have been a couple other people who also said they smelled it. But then, you know, you find one source that says people were starting to smell it. You find another source saying no one smelled it. It's really hard to nail down for some reason. Smeller's the feller. <laughs> Claimer's the blamer. Then- <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, maybe it's just a priest just <laughs> passing gas in her house. And he's like, you know what? Guys, I smell it too. He's crop testing the whole time. Oh, <laughs> uh, with this guy, I I wouldn't put it past him. So years passed. Her condition continued to decline to a shocking level. Unlike the older exorcisms we covered last week, this one has several high resolution photos of the person suffering. In the photos from before this began, Annalise appears young, healthy, with dark hair, and a very hearty, vibrant look about her. And as you know, I fell down this whole fucking rabbit hole called Who Does Annalise Remind Me Of? Yes! I saw that post in the mom group. Oh my god. I was going crazy, because like she looks like somebody, and it's weird, because some a lot of people said um, Clea Duvall, and a lot of people said Julia Stiles, and I think that it was somehow both of them in my head. Um... Definitely something about her reminds me of both of them. I, I'm actually not sure which one I was originally thinking of. I thought it was Clay Duvall. Either way, she she looked a lot like them. You should look it up. It's right. kind of weird. Um, she was beautiful, you know, and she she looked very healthy. In the pictures near the end of her transformation, she looks like a corpse, honestly. Yeah. She is skeletally thin. There's no lucidity in her eyes at all. Her teeth are protruding, discolored, broken. Her eyes are sunken. Her mouth is covered in ulcers or wounds. She hardly even looks alive. It's terrible. I'm sure you've seen that. She wouldn't eat food because the demons that she said were inside her didn't permit it. But the demons apparently did permit her to eat spiders and coal. Well, I have a Uh, ton of those for her. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The head of a dead bird. Uh, where is she getting this? Where is she getting this? Is I, there are not people I, there? I mean, no, there are people there. I don't know. They're not stopping her from eating bird heads. This is <laughs> that's your that's your main objection here. What in the Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, I didn't include that, but she did bite the head off of it. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I guess obviously, like, what else did she get? A, a knife and fork? But no, she yeah, yeah. she did. Um. What else did the demons allow her to do? Not sleep, that's for sure. She only did that for like an hour a night and spent the rest of her time reenacting the sundowning scene that fucked me up for life in 2015's The Visit, running throughout her house, screaming out prayers, to which I say, nope. I don't think I've seen that. Nope, nope, It's It fucked me up real bad. It's called The Visit? Yeah, it's M. Night, what's his name? Um, Shamalama Ding Dong. Yeah, that guy. Um... It, it is... That might be the only one I haven't seen of his. Yeah, that movie super fucked me up. I don't I don't even remember what the twist turned out to be, but it definitely um, played on the concept of, like, Alzheimer's and sundowning, and there was, like, a part where there's an old woman just wandering the house in the middle of the night, and she's, like, running and scratching at the walls and stuff, and it, it tripped me the holy fuck out. And, uh, yeah, most of this stuff, like this, um, you know, possession symptom stuff doesn't get me that bad, but running when running is not appropriate. Yeah. Just disturbs the fuck out of me. <laughs> no, I do that to Cody sometimes. He hates it too. To scare him? Yeah. I'll like just shuffle my feet real fast behind him. Oh, hell no. Yeah, he hates it. I haven't oh, done that in a while. Goodness gracious. You should. I <laughs> know. Bring it back. You need, yeah, you need to pause and go do that right and now. And I'm going to blame it on you. I'll take the blame for that. Honestly, I'm okay with that. Annalise genuflected every few minutes, kneeling until her knees were fucked up, but also trashing religious objects on the walls. One source said that the demons inside her caused her to, quote, curse like a man. Oh. So, Mm. I mean, we may be possessed as well. Everyone around her was stuck in this weird limbo where her symptoms undeniably did fit with epilepsy in certain ways, but just like not all of them. Epilepsy wasn't usually like this. The obsession with an aversion to religion also kind of seemed to paint a picture of a young woman who was battling something really dark within herself and sometimes winning and sometimes losing the upper hand. 
She had been assessed and observed by priests for several years since her problems first began, but they were hung up on that thing that we talked about last week, where there has to be no reasonable doubt that she could be suffering from anything but demonic possession. And while demonic possession did fit in certain ways, it also fit well enough with a medical explanation that nobody could say there was no reasonable doubt. Right. For whatever reason, at some point, the tide began to turn in everyone's beliefs about the matter. I think that this was a combination of her family just being over it and frustrated and her being over it and frustrated. It wasn't the bird head? I, I don't think it was the bird head. And one of the priests, um, Father Alt, it seemed like he kind of started to go to bat for the concept that it was exorcism when he hadn't been previously. He was just slowly becoming either convinced genuinely of her possession, or maybe he had his own reasons for wanting to treat it that way. I don't know. But in 1975, they were authorized to attempt an exorcism after um, appealing to the bishop for quite a while at this point. The bishop felt that he had considered all angles of Annalise's case before saying yes, but the problem was that all of the angles were presented to him by the same person which was that priest named Father Alt, sending the bishop letters describing his observations. It wasn't, you know, coming from a bunch of different people. It was one guy who had an opinion. The bishop took all of his information from Father Alt at face value. He never personally laid eyes on any corroborating documents for medical professionals, and he granted approval on the condition of, for whatever fucking reason, quote, total secrecy. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, a little sketch. So, the exorcisms, once again, in this episode, plural, began. And something striking about this case that I couldn't really find information on with last week's two was that Annalise herself wanted the exorcisms. Once that ball was rolling, she just at that point refused to cooperate with medical diagnostics or treatments or medication and asked her family to also stop pursuing those angles because she wanted all trust to be placed in the church. She had been on this merry-go-round with different doctors and diagnoses and medications with no relief for years. And at this, fa- at this point, her family was pretty much seeing things the same way and had been pushing for the exorcism. So you remember our little checklist from last week of demonic red flags? Yes. Um, Annalise did not quite complete a bingo board here, although Father Alt noted that she didn't look like an epileptic, so that had to count for something, oh, right? Oh, Uh-huh. She didn't What she is didn't an epileptic like supposed to look like? Not her, I'll tell you that. Something else entirely. Uh, I have not come across anything as far as levitation with her. I haven't really come across anything with superhuman strength. I mean, she was certainly violent at times, but I don't really see anything that is credible at all that there's any kind of superhuman strength. They were a little bit more sophisticated in their ways of testing certain things now than they had been at the point um, of other, you know, the other ones we've covered. But she wasn't passing the possessed vibe check as far as knowledge of unknown languages, really. She was particularly good in languages in school, but when they began her exorcism, some demons identified themselves, um, mainly a bunch of biblical characters and recent history villains, including Judas and Hitler. Oh. Yeah. Some spoke in the language that it would be appropriate for them to speak, but it was only languages that Annalise herself could be reasonably expected to know, like German and Latin. Somebody tested her with a question in Mandarin, and the demon, you know air quotes here, claim to understand it without giving any indication of actual comprehension. And then it told them that they could only ask questions in German. Mm. So, sus, you know. They asked her the question in Mandarin, and she was pretty much like, don't ask me in that language, but I did understand it, but didn't, you know, respond to the content of the question really at all. So they did try a little bit more of a placebo study with the holy water. They sprayed her with both tap water and holy water and found that she did only react to the holy water, which she referred to as shitty water. Her aversion to religion was kind of all over the place. And this is something that's a little bit weird to me. She seemed obsessed with Vatican II. Do you know anything about Vatican II? No. Okay. 
So a very brief history on this. In the mid-60s, church leaders basically all kind of realized that they were going to have to evolve if they were going to stay relevant to the people in modern times. It was just time for the church to change some stuff, which they don't tend to do all at once, but they can have these councils. They hadn't had one since hundreds of years before. So what did they do? Did they stop being so crushingly homophobic and address their horrendous problem with pedophile priests? No. Do you think? No. 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 Not really. They're still working on that. They could probably stand to have another council. <laughs> um, they did make some good changes, though. I don't I don't want to talk trash about Vatican II too much, because in my opinion, at least, it's definitely a good thing. Um, they met up four times, each lasting a couple months, and over the course of four years to brainstorm about the situation. Um, they would meet up every fall for like eight to 12 weeks, I think, and just kind of massive think tank with all of the church leadership and everything here. I can only imagine what a fascinating time this must have been to be a more progressive Catholic and like not know what was going to come right. of this. So... Over that time, church leadership reworked many aspects of the church from the ground up, creating a bigger one-time overhaul than the church had seen in something like four centuries. And they changed some things that now, knowing that it's that recent of a change, seem incredibly archaic if you were born post-Vatican II, but the changes were controversial, to put it mildly, at the time, and included such scandal as having the priests face the parishioners rather than with their backs to them facing the altar during mass. Mm. Yeah. They turn the whole altar around. I'm fairly sure. Um, so that the priest could face the altar and the congregation at the same time. Another change was changing the delivery of mass itself to the language spoken where the church is located. Before that, it was always in Latin. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Most people don't. Um, That, unsurprisingly, really changed the dynamic of everything. And rather than just being, you know, these clueless, devout supplicants at church to receive this very mysterious, unknowable sacrament that their families and traditions said was so important, Catholics could directly interpret Mass themselves and engage on a whole different level. That's a little risky. Right? Okay, see, you're sounding like a demon now. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so people were developing, you know, a much more personal relationship with God and the church, and it was this huge shift. And, you know, it's one of those things that I, I'm i sure was fucking huge for people who were alive and Catholic at the time, because a lot of this, it's hard to believe how recent this is. Women were restricted less in church before this. They had to wear head coverings to enter. And... Sometimes in like ultra orthodox churches, they still do, but I I don't know that I've ever actually encountered it in person. Uh, and that was when the requirement left, and lay people were given additional roles within the church. So overall, you can see like it it just got a lot more accessible. It got a lot more inclusive, and it kind of opened up in certain ways. I mean, obviously it needs to open up in a whole fucking lot more ways, but this is a huge shift from, you know, going to church, you don't understand a word of the service, the priest has his back to you the whole time. Lay people, they don't really have anything to do with anything, and it's so different all of a sudden. And this had happened at this point about 10 years before her exorcisms. So... Vatican II apparently really, really vexed either Annalise herself or the demons possessing her, because whatever it was, they were preoccupied with Vatican II changes. Now, the social crowd that Annalise had fallen in was totally against Vatican II. And, you know, that's another thing where perspective is such a big deal, because now, I mean, that just seems like such a pointless thing to be against. But at the time, you know, it was pretty fucking recent history. It it would have... It was controversial. It was very controversial. During her exorcisms, Annalise spouted criticisms of post-Vatican II changes, although why this should be of concern to a demon is cause for speculation. Right, And and it's weird that thing. she wants an exorcism, because if she's possessed, why would you want that? Well, I mean, I think that the narrative is kind of that there's a that she's kind of still in there and she's resisting it. But yeah, that's a that's a fair question. 
So a lot of the sources that I found on the whole Vatican II criticism issue seem to find that completely irrational, but I don't know if I do, honestly. Because it's like, if the church becoming more accessible and inclusive could cause people to have a more meaningful relationship with God, and the former setup where only priests held any power at all, and the workings of the church were just a completely closed door to lay people. Like, isn't that the perfect environment yeah. for evil? Right. You know, there, there's no, there's no one checking anyone. There, there's a lot of too much trust and respect placed in priests. And, you know, I don't know. Obviously, that is very much still a problem, but it seems like opening it up in that way would be not great if you were team bad stuff, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, any darkness that would be attracted to the church at that point, it would just be able to spread with the curtains up, unchecked, unseen, and shining a light on that and letting more people into that, I feel like could not possibly be a good thing for that kind of evil. Right. So, one of the researchers and commentators that I've seen in this feel like Annalise slash the demon giving basically feedback makes no sense considering that the demon should want the church to function poorly. But it's like, was it good advice or is it your toxic friend telling you you should get bangs? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I feel like the demon wants you to get bangs. Right. Anyway, the exorcisms got more and more brutal as they went. Annalise was tied to the bed with her body just wasting away to nothing at all. Um, surprisingly, she continued her coursework as much as she could, even delivering a thesis um, that seemed to center on the topic of fear a month before the situation would reach its terrible conclusion, which most of you probably know. She was covered in bruises at this point. She had two black eyes. Her knees were broken from kneeling so frequently. After 10 months and during this process and 67 exorcisms, 24-year-old Annalise weighed as little as 68 pounds. Jeez. Yeah. On June 30th, 1976, she asked for absolution and asked her mother to stay with her because she was afraid. And in the morning, she was dead. Her autopsy revealed her broken knees, her bruised body, and it attributed her death to malnutrition, dehydration, and emaciation. So at this point, it's a whole ass situation. People will look the other way about, you know, weird religious exorcism shit when people survive it. But it's a whole other story when a young woman is dead. But wait, it's Somebody... a secret, Brian. Well, apparently not now that she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> that backfired. And somebody was going to have to be accountable for this. The priest who had convinced the bishop that this was a possession said that he never thought Annalise was seriously ill. And I mean, if you have seen the pictures of her from yeah, she was ill. her death, this is fucking ludicrous. Yeah. But another priest involved, Father Renz, essentially said that whether she was ill was not his fucking problem, stating that, quote, the exorcism ritual expressly states that the clergymen should not burden themselves with medical matters. So <sighs> he was unburdened. Unburden, unbothered. Yeah, uh-huh. And here's the thing, because I I understand, and don't get me wrong, I'm not fucking sympathizing with this, but I understand the logic of that within church teaching, because you're a priest, you're not a doctor. Like, that's not what you're there for. I get that. But... Where's the compassion? Yeah. I mean, this guy, like, he he may have lacked basic moral intuition, but he did know his stuff, because the rules on this did state... Quote, the exorcist should guard against giving or recommending any medicine to the patient and should leave this care to physicians. The physicians that Annalise had dismissed. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, to me, this just ties back into the concept that we talked about last week, that we can follow church doctrine to the letter of the law, but millennia of prescriptive teachings cannot replace human judgment right. and moral discernment in any kind of murky situation like this. And murky situations will always come up. And if they do, and you don't jump in with, you know, common fucking sense and morals, this is how you end up here. So Father Rents had followed the rules, but had neglected any of the things that might have saved Annalise's life. 
He claimed that he had reached out to the bishop to say that things were going downhill, but the bishop said that he hadn't really talked to Annalise or her family and didn't even know that she didn't have doctors anymore, which I think was supposed to make him sound better, but it really didn't at all. Um, You should be keeping an eye on that. So after her death, both Annalise's parents and the priests involved, Fathers Alt and Renz, were all charged with negligent homicide. I don't, that doesn't happen a lot right, in this right. kind of situation. Uh, the state was seeking a fine for the priests, which seems absolutely fucking pointless to me because they take a vow of poverty when they're ordained. So this would be paid for by the church, the same as their defense was. Do you know what the fine yeah. that they were seeking was? I don't know, but like it doesn't matter. I mean, the Vatican has all the money in the yeah. world. You know, it it doesn't matter. This this was not any fine would not affect them at all. I mean, the conviction might just in terms of you know reputation, embarrassment. I guess I don't know. It depends on how they felt about it. But a fine would have been just fucking meaningless, and the church had paid for their defense. So I mean, that's obviously what's going to happen if they lose. Um, ultimately, the prosecution felt that her parents had lost enough. But I think that they were still going for a conviction, just kind of for the sake of justice, just not really a punishment. So the trial started almost two years after her death, and the arguments basically came down to the sides that A, she wasn't possessed, just epileptic, and negligence had killed her full stop, versus B, the argument that she was possessed, and they had audio recordings supporting this that they played during the trial, and either way, exorcism is a religious practice that people are free to perform. Can you imagine being the jury on that? I want to be the jury on everything. That's my secret. That no one knows. <laughs> I have never gotten a servant jury duty. I've been called a few times. I've been dismissed every time. And I mean, obviously, it could be very inconvenient as far as, you know, what you might have going on. But I want it so bad because I want to be on jury duty for everything that ever exists. Same. I just I want to decide everything. I want it. That's that goes into my cult. <laughs> Ultimately, both priests were convicted of negligent homicide. Oh wow! Yeah, but they were not sentenced to prison. I don't remember if they had a fine or not. Like honestly, the fine is so pointless to me. I don't think I even registered if there was actually a fine. It doesn't even matter. It, it would never affect them at all. When the trial resolved, Annalise's parents chose to exhume her body. Some sources say that this is because they wanted her to have a nicer coffin, but others say that it was because they believed that her body, if they exhumed it, would not be decaying. Now, this is the concept of incorruptibility, which is an absolutely fucking bonkers wild Catholic belief that saints' bodies simply do not rot. So, presumably, they must have felt that she maybe could be considered for sainthood, maybe died a martyr kind of situation. Uh Um, incorruptible saints are a rabbit hole that I have fallen down many times long before we started the show. And if you want to kill three hours reading the weirdest shit you've ever fucking read in the middle (laughs) of the night, I highly recommend it. Um, there are some compelling cases, but I mean, it is one of those absolutely wild beliefs that Catholics and the church will assert completely straight faced. And I mean, the ballsiness alone of, of just the assertion that, yeah, you know, we, we have these Catholic teachings and most of them are pretty in line with other Christian religions. Also, BTW, we have saints and when they die, they don't decompose. Like, holy shit. Right. Um, it is worth the trip down the rabbit hole. That's for fucking sure. So they exhumed her body. Shit ton of people were present at that. Uh, indeed, her corpse had decayed the normal amount after two years, and she was moved to a nicer coffin and reburied. There's a picture of the coffin after it was exhumed, and I guess her dad thinks that you can see a demon, like, like it's arm and shoulder, like I think from shoulder to hand with its hand on the foot of the coffin, which... I mean, I definitely see what they're referring to. I don't know that I think it's that, but, you know, there's there's some kind of creepy shadow on there for sure. Um, but it's not a super clear picture, so I don't know. Uh, look it up if you want to. I'm doing that right now. I don't see it. We're not looking at the right picture. I'll, oh, are you, but you see her coffin? Yeah, it's white, right? Okay. Yeah. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I mean, it, I think it's probably just a... Oh, interesting. See, the first picture that I see, I don't really see it either. Okay, hold on. Here we go. I found it. I'm sending it to you. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something. I doubt that it's that, but it's creepy. It could be that. It is for sure creepy. Yeah. In 2005, her story was adapted into the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I don't know how true to the story that necessarily was. I think it was, you know, more of a loose adaptation. And um, during the trial, the bishop agreed that in the future, exorcisms would only be permitted with a doctor present, which is a good fucking idea, although I'm sure they could find a sketchy-ass doctor if they wanted to. But I can't really find for sure whether that was actually implemented. I tried, but those are some real weird rabbit holes. Um, I don't know. But that, that was honor system at least supposed to happen. And that is the horrific exorcism and death of Annalise. Ooh, so good. I mean, so bad. It's good. So bad. Yeah. Yeah. Super terrible. Exhuming bodies is bananas to me. I could read about exhuming bodies all night. Yeah. That is um, is one of my OG rabbit holes when I first, you know, got uh, unrestricted access to the internet whenever that was and started going down weird rabbit holes. (laughs) Body exhumation has always fascinated and horrified me. Yeah. Well, are you ready for some disaster relief? Holy shit, I think we need it. Well, I say we need it, but mine ties directly into my episode. (laughs) So, I don't know. Maybe I should have thought of a better one, but it would be too on theme to not include, which is um, we went and saw Pray for the Devil a couple nights ago in the theater, and it was good. It's an exorcism movie. I have not been to the movie theater in so long. Ours <laughs> just reopened from the hurricane, so I need it. Oh, damn. Yeah. It, it It's an interesting concept. Um, basically, there's a nun who feels like it's her calling to be an exorcist, and she ends up um, kind of breaking into the establishment and breaking some barriers, but there's, you know, a whole creepy exorcism thing happening and uh it's pretty damn good i mean it's not you know best movie i've ever seen in my life or anything but it was an enjoyable all hollows eve thing yeah and uh yeah it it definitely ties right into this (laughs) what do you have so mine's like a prolonged disaster relief um i don't really have the effects of it right now because i just did it this morning um, but I've done it before. Um, baby feet. Is this drugs? This is really sounding like drugs. <laughs> it's the same feeling. Baby feet. Baby feet. Okay, go on. It's where you put like these bags on your feet and mix a solution. And basically the skin off your feet just falls off. Oh my God. I thought we were doing an actual disaster relief about baby feet, which are delightful. No. And I was like, okay. I mean, I'm with it. I'm talking about my gross ass, crusty <laughs> adult feet that are going to be like baby feet soon. Have you ever Ooh, done this? Okay. I have not. No, I probably should. Oh, it's so nice. Like, the, it just peels off in like sheets. Ooh, I don't know about that. Do you that. like peeling skin? Were you the I kid, mean, like, in school that did the glue and you would, like, peel yes, it off? Yes, I absolutely did oh, the glue like crazy. you would fucking love this. I don't know. Like, I feel like if it was too much skin or, like, too thick of a layer of skin, that would trip me out. No, it's not too bad. It's not thick, okay. but, like, they come off ha- in, like, bigger pieces. So you did pieces. it this morning? Yeah, but it takes a couple days for it to start peeling. Like, you soak. Oh, my God. So you, like, mix this. You put the solution in the bag and you, like, wrap your feet up and, like, like it's plastic bag and you let it sit for like an hour. And then a couple days later, like the skin starts falling off. I don't know how I feel about that, but I want pictures when it you want me to send you pictures. Oh, absolutely. Do you have some already? I think I have some left from the last time I did it. Cody. It freaks Cody out. So I haven't yeah, done it. It might freak me out too, but I do. Want I to haven't see it. done it in like a year and a half. Like, he loves it when it's, like, all nice and done, and he's, like, he wound up doing it, too. But I think just the thought of, like, sheets of skin falling off your feet is gross. Not for me. I like that stuff, but. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) But, yeah. Please send me pictures. I will definitely send you pictures. I'm really excited because I haven't. So, the last time I did it was, like, pre-COVID, 
I guess it's been more than a year, huh? Shit. Um, yeah. And then it's been probably like three or more. <laughs> no, it wasn't pre-COVID. It was during COVID because I couldn't get a pedicure done. And then oh, okay. I think I've had one pedicure since. I just, you don't have time. I had one like right before Squonk was born. Remember, I like painted my to- toes and then yes, I, I, do I thought that. I was going to go in labor. And then like a week and a half later, like they're all messed up and I still hadn't I had a baby. So, um, yeah. yeah, they need some attention, but I don't want to go get a pedicure because they're so bad. Like it's embarrassing. <laughs> so you're going to do baby feet first and then go get a pedicure? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I respect the process. So. Please send me pictures. Well... We should I post them on Patreon? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, feel the people out. No, I won't do it to you guys. Um, we do have um two new Patreons this week. Our new Patreons are Alana Delgado. I hope I said that right. Your buddy is Sabrin. I hope I said that right too. Sabrin Dobbins. So go donate blood. Go donate food. Go donate a kidney. Do it. Do it. Do it. Go do it. Let us know how it goes. Mm, go watch an exorcism together. Bone marrow is a thing too. You could also register to be a match. Yeah, for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Um. Yep. So thank you everybody for um joining our Patreon. And until next time, sweet dreams or no dreams. Sweet dreams or no dreams. <laughs> Hey, Horrible Ghouls, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.